I do have one more announcement. Caitlin, come up here. Caitlin has big news. What's the big news? I graduated first grade. She, she graduated first grade. She's now a second grader, and she is excited about that, and I am too. Wow, you only have 10 more after that to go. Woo! Keep up the good work. All right. Again, it's good to see everybody tonight. Good to see Clay here back with us on a Wednesday night. I'm glad he's here. Um, turn in your word. We're in Mark. Still in Mark. Mark chapter 10. Tonight we're going to be in verses 17 uh, through 22. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Using for a title, the rich young ruler. If you're there, say amen. Let's go ahead. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one who is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come. Take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Wow, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the age-old question, right? Who am I? Why am I here? How do I live the good life? What is my purpose in living? Where will I go when I die? These are what we sometimes uh, refer to as ultimate questions of life. Everyone asks them. Everyone thinks about them. Why? Well, because these questions go to the very heart of what it means to be human. They address our significance, importance, right, and destiny. We all want to know what that's about. And think about this. These questions do connect. Because how you answer one will influence how you answer the others. How you answer one of these questions will influence how you answer others. You see, in this portion of Scripture that we just read, uh, we know that a fine and respected man of the community came to Jesus. And he was interested specifically in the question concerning destiny, eternal life. And he framed the question this way, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And in the process of answering that question, Jesus also gave him insight concerning what or who really matters most in life, right? Jesus knows how to do that. He knows how to put his finger right on the, the, the pulse of what really matters to us to make us think. Uh, that's called conviction. Uh, and that's what he does best. And what uh, you decide now will determine where you go later in life. 
The questions connect, and so do the answers to those questions. They all connect. So, again, a young man comes to Jesus, hears the way of salvation, and he turns away and leaves as lost as he came. Sad, sad to say that. As far as we know, this young man never accepted Jesus, died, and made hell his home. Can you imagine, right, in the very presence of Jesus physically, but yet refused? See, the same thing continues to happen all the time around us. People come in and out of church, in and out of this church. This church is no different than any others. They hear the gospel message. They hear the anointed word of God. They are challenged to repent of their sins and to turn to Jesus for salvation. But many leave the church just like they came in. And in fact, actually, they're in worse shape than when they came in because truth was presented to them. And when truth is presented, no matter if you accept it or reject it, you will be held accountable for that truth that was presented to you. I tell people all the time, if... if if you're just going to come and sit and, and not allow the Holy Spirit uh, to change your heart, to respond to his drawing, don't come. You're making it worse on yourself <laughs> because you are now held accountable for the truth that has been presented to you. You're held accountable for it. You're responsible for it. So they leave lost and still on their way to hell. And if they do not repent of their sins, eventually they will die and make hell their home. Of course, that's not a popular um, message that a lot of pastors want to preach, but it needs to be preached. People need to realize a decision has to be made. The word says, choose you this day whom you will serve, right? That's, that's the word of Almighty God, and whether you uh, accept it or reject it, the truth doesn't change. A choice has to be made, and if you fail to say yes to Jesus, then you make your choice. You've made your choice to make hell your home. In verse 17, we find out a little bit about this rich young ruler. We find out that he had some privileges in life. See, all three of the Gospels, um, the writers tell us that this man was rich. Matthew goes on to tell us that he was young. And if you want to look that up, it's in Matthew 19:22 that he lived a life of privilege. The world was his. Anything he wanted was well within his reach. He was that well-off, that wealthy. Wealthy. He had a position in life. He, he was privileged and he had position. Luke tells us that this man was a ruler. Luke 18, 18, and you can look that up on your own. But this probably means that he was an influential uh, leader in the local synagogue. He had influence in his area. He had prestige in his, in his area. According to all the information we have about this man, it appears that he was very moral. He was a good guy, one of the good guys, did the right thing, right? We, we're forming a, a picture of this rich young ruler now. He wasn't just a spoiled little brat that a lot of times I think he's portrayed to be, especially in children's church and things like that. I think of um, just this whiny little kid that's just rich, kind of like... Uh, I don't know, Richie Rich or something. I'm, I'm just trying to think of, of some little kid. I want that. I want that. No, he, he was a man of power, a man of prestige. Yes, he was young, probably in his early 30s. 
That's what most agree on. Um, but he had prestige. He lived a good life. People all over the region probably looked up to this young, rich, moral, religious leader. Okay? Uh, from every outward appearance, this young man was riding high uh, on the pinnacle of success. He had it going on. He had everything going for him. Uh, he was everything a mother or a father could have wanted for their child to be. If you looked at his life, you might think that he had it all. But hear me tonight, appearances are deceiving. Appearances are dece deceiving. You see, uh, when I think of that, when I, I, I think of him having everything but still not yet having peace, we know why he didn't have peace, because he didn't know the Lord, and then in the end didn't choose to know the Lord. But 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Look not on his countenance. Right? This was uh, speaking to Samuel, but it says, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So tonight, don't buy the lies of the enemy. Don't don't buy into that and get your eyes on what you see others around you doing, what you see them accumulating and, and things that they're getting, material things. Because guess what? If that one does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they're in misery. They're in turmoil. Their life is shallow. It is a shell of a life. And the slightest little thing that would come their way, they would crumble. And I don't say that proudly. I say that with a broken heart because all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Right? Just say yes to Jesus. The word says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So don't get caught up on what it looks like. Don't get caught up in appearances because... Money does not buy everything. It cannot buy everything. And this is what we're finding out in this portion of Scripture. In spite of everything he had going for him, this young man had a mighty big skeleton in his closet. He had much, but with his much, he had an itch he couldn't scratch. Right? He found himself in that place described in Isaiah 5 and 4. It says, therefore, hell has enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure in their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. You see, oh, I, I can get, I can get, I can get all of this stuff. Why? Because it's, it is never enough. Things will never fill that void that, that the Lord himself has placed in the human heart that can only be filled by Jesus. All the money, all the, the houses, all the drugs, all the alcohol, anything like that, it's just going to pour through and flow out. But once you get Jesus, oh, wow, it just keeps getting better and better. And it's not just for you. It begins to flow out of your heart, overflow out of your heart, and pour onto those around you. But he didn't get there. He didn't see that. He had found that his youth left him unsatisfied. His money had left him feeling unfulfilled. His morality, his clean living, and his religious activity had not been able to satisfy the deepest longing of his soul. 
His swift climb up the social ladder had failed to give him what he wanted the most, and that was peace with God. You, can have, you cannot find peace in this world. There is nothing that this world can give you that will, that will extend to you peace. It might feel good for a moment. The word even says that sin is pleasurable for a season. But then all of a sudden, you're just left with that gaping hole again, longing for it to be filled. And the only way it can be filled is with Jesus. Maybe there are people here tonight or watching by Facebook or Internet that's in the same shape as this young man. From the outward appearance, you look like you got it going on. You look like everything's going great. Maybe you've climbed the social ladder. You've got money in your bank account. Uh, you've got a good name in the community where you live. Maybe you're even a church member, a leader, a teacher. I think it was Keith Babin talked about one of the most powerful services that he was in. It was C.T. Townsend, I believe. And the worship leader who had led worship for 12, 13 years during this revival, when a uh, salvation invitation was given, came and got saved. The worship leader. See, it happens because the enemy is deceitful. He deceives even the elite into thinking, oh, you're good. See, you got a good life. Everybody likes you. You're popular. But if you don't have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, things aren't right. Things aren't good. Eventually, you're going to fall. You're going to crumble. So don't be fooled. Don't, don't fall into that trap of doing good works, doing good things to fill that void because even those good works, reading your Bible, fasting, praying, coming to church, tithing, all of those good disciplines that every born-again believer should should be a part of, take part in. You can get caught up in that and be lost without a personal relationship with Jesus. If you'll remember back for the past two Wednesdays, we talked about becoming like a child in order to receive, to inherit the kingdom. What does that mean? Total dependence upon the Lord. Not depending on man or yourself for anything, but totally depending, on, depending upon him for each and everything that you need, even the next breath that you breathe, you realize I can't make it without you, Lord. I've got to have you just to get through this day. These are evil times that we're living in, and I don't see how people can make it an hour without knowing Jesus. Connie and I were actually talking about this this morning. I don't see how people make it through life without him. We make it hard enough when we do know Jesus, right? I, I, I can't fathom that. But we've got to realize that we need him for everything. So in spite of all you have, there may be still something missing in your life. The good news is he's always got more to give. There's always more with Jesus, and I'm going to be the first to admit and the first to tell you I need more of him. I need more of him. I live in this life just like all of you do. Trials, circumstances, craziness. 
I mean, just life. And I need him. I need him more and more. You know you have what it takes to live, but you also know that you are unprepared to die. My Papa Stillman, one time, and he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he said, dying is easy. It's living that's hard. See, when you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, dying is easy. Living is hard. This life is hard. We need Jesus. Oh, we need him more and more. You have everything you want and need materially, but you don't have the spiritual peace with God. I'm here to tell you tonight, the peace speaker is here. He is here to speak peace to our troubled hearts. I don't know how anybody in this room tonight could not be troubled in one way, shape, or form. We should be troubled at what is going on in our nation. Our hearts should be broken. We should be hurting, folks, at the, the amount of depravity that we see on our screens every time we turn the TV on. Total depravity in the human race. So lost, but don't see it at all. Our hearts should be broken. Everything looks good on the outside, but in the, on the inside, all messed up. That's a terrible way to live, but hear me tonight, it's a more even horrible way to die. I'm going to say it again. Everything looks good on the outside, but the inside's a mess. It's a terrible way to live. Christians, believers, you shouldn't live like that, but it's even a more horrible way to die. I always think of the scripture, oh, but Lord, we laid hands on the sick, we cast out devils, right? And what does he say to them? He's talking to the church, depart from me for I never knew you. You look good on the outside, you came to church, you did all the right things, but you did not know him. You did not have a personal relationship with him. Again, what does that mean? That means depending upon him for everything, childlike faith that's what we've been discussing the past three maybe four weeks coming to him with nothing but receiving him and getting everything he is everything that you and i will ever need we find that he he searches his searches the Lord out. See, he had a lot going for him. He knows what he is missing, the most important thing of all, a saving relationship with Almighty God. See, a lot of people never realize that nothing in this world is more important than their souls. That's the first order of business, should be. Get right with God. Get right with the Lord. I was talking to an individual today and uh, just giving some scriptures to her a family situation that was going on and I said well until one gets right from with the Lord nothing's going to change your first uh, course of actions pray for salvation pray for your loved ones pray for your co-workers pray for their salvation because you can pray oh I wish they would stop doing this Lord make them stop doing that if they would fall in love with Jesus it would all change that should be our prayer. Where is our heart for the lost? That's where our heart has to stay. That was Jesus' heart. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. 
So that has to be where our heart stays, where our mind stays. Because when, when somebody comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I believe the word is true, that they are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new, right? Do we believe that? If we do, then we need to be praying for the lost. And then we just leave the rest up to the Lord. We don't have to worry about anything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. Everything else is going to fall into place if the heart gets right. The heart has got to get right. Mark 8, 36 and 37 talks about salvation. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And this is the question really being presented to this rich young ruler tonight. This is what we see. See, this man sees his need and he desires to do something about it. We know that because the word tells us that he came running to Jesus. Tells us that in, I think, verse 17. He came running to Jesus. This shows us that he senses the urgency of his need. Uh, I think the church really needs to wake up and be aware that we are lacking a sense of urgency as a church. There ought to be an urgency about us, folks. We are living in the last of the last days. There shouldn't be uh, a space open in the altar when altar calls are given. Why? Because there should be an urgency in the church to go and to seek the face of the Lord, to cry out for our lost loved ones. If you don't know anybody that's lost, come talk to me. I can give you a few names or 10 or 20. But we need to be crying out for the lost. Where is the church's sense of urgency? He's coming back. Do we believe that? His word is true. So now the church needs a sense of urgency more than ever before. We need to be running to Jesus. It goes on to say that he kneeled before Jesus. This shows that he understands that there's something special about Jesus. Now I want to say this, and you'll know what I'm talking about, but people had better wake up and realize that they are never to bow a knee to man. They are never to bow a knee to man. We bow to Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it, and I'm moving on. He comes while Jesus is, the scripture says, in the way, meaning uh, that Jesus was in the middle of the road when the rich young ruler came and found him. And he comes and bows down before him. And this shows us that he's not ashamed to admit that he has a need. See, the lost even realize a lot of times before the saved, before the believers, before the church realizes that they have a need. Why? Because we've been so desensitized to the drawing power of the Holy Spirit that we just, we brush it off. Oh, I pray that the Lord revive us. He rekindle that fire. He renew that sense of urgency. He, he, he just do a mighty work in the church to draw us back to our knees before him. 
He came pondering the issue of eternity, and he wants to know how he might inherit eternal life. See, this young man had a lot going for him. He had it all, yet with all his power, his possessions, his privileges, he still does not know the answer to the greatest of all the questions. He knows a lot of things, but he's forced to admit that he does not know the way to heaven. See, he comes to Jesus with thoughts of heaven on his mind. That's what he's thinking about. How do I inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? See, you don't find many people who are thinking about eternity these days. Most people are so wrapped up in themselves and their lives that they have no time for thoughts of God, for heaven, for hell, for where they'll go when they die because they've been fed the lie way too long and they've believed it. You know, people say if you say it long enough, even if it's a lie, you'll begin to believe it. Oh, well, everybody dies and goes to heaven. No, they don't. No, they don't. See, most people are like this young man. We have it all. We live in the wealthiest of societies in the history of the world. We have so much here that the thoughts of natural Men and women hardly ever turn to the matters of God, to heaven or to hell or eternity. We live in the midst of one of the most sophisticated and intellectually advanced cultures the world has ever known. Yet people still do not know the answer to the most basic and important question of all. People know how to, be, uh, to split atoms, to put men on the moon, to harness the power of the sun, the wind, and the rain. But they don't know how to get to heaven. They don't know what they must do to be saved. Church, we've got a commission. We've been commissioned. We were saved to be sent, to go and tell, right? The sad fact is most people don't even care to know. At least this young man was concerned about his soul. Are you? You should be. And are we concerned about the souls of others? Because death is coming. Death is coming. Hebrews 9 and 27 tell us, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Right? That's the word. So one day, real soon, you will leave this world forever. And when you do, you will go to either heaven or you will go to hell the place you go when you die will be determined by what you do with Jesus while you are alive. See, it's too late once you die. We can't... Pr That's another uh, false teaching of Catholicism. You can't pray for one's soul once they are already gone. They're gone. Their fate is already sealed. They made their choice while they were here on earth what to do with Jesus, whether to receive him and believe that he died on the cross, rose again, or not, right? What we do here will determine where we spend eternity. The last part of uh, verse, verse 17, I'm trying to hurry. Um, he's concerned about the right issues. He's in the presence of the right person, and he comes at the right time. He came in the right way. This man gets a lot of things right in his encounter with the Lord, but it's the thing that he gets wrong that will cause all of his trouble. Mike Muserall likes to say it all the time, you can get everything right, but if you get Jesus wrong, nothing else matters. 
If you miss Jesus, you've missed it. You can do all the right things, but if you get Jesus wrong, nothing else matters. Why? Because he thinks salvation can be earned. He's looking for a do-oriented salvation, as is with most believers. Well, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and, and I've given the illustration, usually quite comically, of me on the treadmill. It's that treadmill religion. Well, if I do more, and, and then all of a sudden you're just tired, and that treadmill just whoop, and throws you into the wall. I did that physically. <laughs> Yes, I did, and it's probably on a video camera blooper reel somewhere from the YMCA years ago. And I did that spiritually, and that is not a fun way to live. It's, no, it's not the life that Jesus died for a believer to live on that treadmill religion. See, he seems to think that salvation is a reward. If he can do enough good things, then God will give him eternal life as a reward. But see, salvation is not a reward for faithful service. It's a free gift of God's grace and his mercy. We could never do enough to reach that place that he would reward us with salvation. Salvation, again, is not a reward for service, but it's the gift of grace, John 10 and 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's the free gift that Jesus died on the cross to give us. Again, many people still believe in salvation based on a do. You got to do something. But the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that salvation is never about do. Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How much clearer can you be, right? Salvation through Jesus Christ is always about done. He said it on the cross, it is finished. It's a finished work that we can now rest in, the Philippian jailer had the same question for Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31, and it brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. If you only believe. All you got to do is believe. We make it so hard so complicated, but all you have to do is believe. And I want to encourage you tonight and remind you, that's the good fight of faith. Only believe. Don't get caught up in the lies. Don't get caught up in the works. Just believe in Jesus. Keep your faith rooted and grounded there. Verses 18 and 19, we find the challenge here presented. See, when Jesus hears what this man believes about salvation, he challenges him in two areas. One, the character of the Savior. See, the man had called Jesus a good master. And what did Jesus do? He reminds him that there is none good but one, and that's God. So when Jesus makes a statement, he's calling the young man out. Does he believe that Jesus is a good man, or does he believe that Jesus is God? Obviously, this man considered Jesus to be merely a good teacher, a great teacher, much like the religion of Islam. 
He was a good teacher. You see how subtle and deceitful the enemy is? Because people who are in that religion of Islam, they think they're on their way to heaven. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe he was a good teacher, a good rabbi, right? But before anyone can be saved, they must come to a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ truly is. He's not just a good moral man. A teacher sent to show us the way. No, he's far more than that. He is God in the flesh. He is not the way shower. He is the way. He's not a truth dispenser. He is the truth. He does not point out the path to life, but he himself is life. And if you didn't know, I'm quoting John 14, 6. Right? Jesus said unto him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He was able to point these things out to this young man and show him, do you know who Jesus is? Right? He isn't just another stop on the way. He's the only hope. He's the only hope we have of salvation. 1 John 5, 11 through 15, and I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture tonight, but I encourage you to go back and read these for yourself. It says, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Wow, what a promise. If we know him, we know that we can go to him and he hears us. Oh, he hears us. Tonight, whatever you have need of, go to him. Go to your father because he hears you. He knows what you have need of. So he's not just someone you add to whatever you already have at the end of the way. He's all that matters. And he's all you need. Finding out who Jesus is is one of the primary elementary steps in coming to know him. See, it's not just enough. I think Jason uh, preached it Sunday morning or Sunday night. It's not just enough to get saved. I mean, that's great. And I I don't mean to, to downplay that in any way. But then we get to know him. I want to know him. Do you? There's so much about him that I don't know. But I want to know him more and more and more. When Jesus gives this man the list of commands, it isn't to imply that salvation comes by the keeping of the law. We know this. But Jesus is trying to get this man to see that he's a sinner. Remember, we are all sinners. We in need of a Savior. Our kids are sinners, and they need the Savior. We are sinners. We need the Savior, right? Jesus is trying to get him to be honest about his spiritual condition. 
But this man believed that salvation was just something else he could add to his resume, I'm sure. Why? Um, because he answers him and says, oh, I've kept all those commandments. No, you hadn't. <laughs> That's why Jesus came, to fulfill the law, because we couldn't. He's the only one who could, and he did. Completely, totally, fully, he did that. In verse 20, we find the confession right here. I'm trying to, to hurry. The man responds to the Lord's challenge by telling Jesus again that he's kept all the commandments since youth. And Jesus didn't rebuke him for that, right? But there's something else we need to consider. It may be that Jesus only mentioned, because he only mentioned six of the commandments there. And maybe he mentioned the ones that the rich young ruler had kept, that he was good at, right? Um, but right, those six were dealing with man's relationship to man the ones that he said that he had kept. That's what they were dealing with. This man was right, but he would never be right with God until he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? You can do everything right with your fellow man, but if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't go to heaven. You cannot be saved. Right? That's what the word says. And right here, verse 21, verse 21 is the sweetest verse. I love this verse. It says, then Jesus beholding him, loved him. He knew what was going through this young man's mind, what was in his heart, and said unto him, and here's where he puts his finger on the pulse right here. He's giving him a chance. That thing that you're holding on to so tightly, your wealth, your possessions, I just want you to let it go, right? I just want you to get rid of it all, take up the cross and follow me. That's what I want you to do. That was his requirements. He tells him how to be saved. Uh, the part where it says he loved him in spite of his sins, in spite of his improper understanding of the things of God, Jesus loves this poor lost sinner just like he did you and me. He loves us. He loves us so much that he gave himself on the cross for us to die for our sins. Romans 5 and 8, that tells us that he loves us so much that he won't turn us away if we come to him by faith. No one in this world may care if you live or die, but Jesus does. He truly cares for each and every one of us. You see right here the one thing that this rich young man lacked. Jesus saw things how they really were and he knew the, the one thing that he lacked were his gods, the wealth and his self. You gotta cast down those idols. You gotta let go of the things that you are holding on to the tightest. He's told to sell it all, give it all away. But verse 22 is the most sorrowful verse the saddest verse, it says, and he was sad at that saying. That upset him, that he couldn't earn salvation. Now, to me, I think, wow, that, that's exciting. I don't have to do anything to earn it. But for this rich young ruler, it saddened his heart. So much so that he was grieved and he went away. He went away 
from Jesus. See, he was looking for an easy fix. He wanted salvation, but he wanted it on his terms. Sound familiar? Oh, I just want to come to church and be patted on the back and told that I'm good, that I'm going to make it, that I'm a champion, and, and all of these things. Not when you come to Lakeside. Tanya Munson always talks about, she laughs and she says, I never will forget when you told us we were a filthy bag of trash. And I said, well, we all got to get to that point where we realize we're a filthy bag of trash. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? We've got to come to that place, but the rich young ruler, he didn't want to come to that place. He couldn't get there. It broke his heart. And instead of staying with the one and only one who could heal that heart, who could work in that heart and, and teach that heart and allow that heart to, to learn and to grow and to see, oh, I can let go. I can trust you, Lord, with everything that I have. And anything that I give up, Lord, what I get in return from you is going to be better than anything I could ever buy, anything I could ever purchase, right? So tonight, I just want us to search our hearts. Have we been willing to release the grip on everything else in our life and reach out in faith for more of him? To let go of those things that are, are concerning us, are worrying us, are weighing heavy on our hearts. We've got to let go of it. That's not going to fix it. It's not. We've got to let go so we can reach out to him. See, you can't reach out to him when you're carrying around all of this heavy stuff. You can't. It's impossible. But if you'll just let it go and then say, Lord, help me. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Oh, he'll come in. He will come in. He will satisfy. He will fill. He will lift you up. He'll do anything you need him to do. But all he's asking is just come to me. Just believe that I am who I say I am. Amen. Tonight I'm going to ask you to stand in this place. And I, do y'all have something? Okay. And as they come and begin to play, I'm going to ask that you respond. Again, I said at the beginning, church, we need to have an urgency about us to be crying out for the lost. There's not one of us in here who, who don't have a need on our hearts tonight. I know that. Why? Because we, we live in this world. But he's here tonight to meet our needs, to show himself faithful, to pour over us, just to, to draw near to us, to comfort us, to surround us with his peace and his grace and his mercy. So tonight as they play and sing, I'm just going to ask you to come and receive what the Lord has for you. Go ahead.
that's truly the cry of your heart, you can have more of him. You can have as much as you can hold, as much as you can contain, and then some. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that has met us here and that will continue to go with us. Lord, I thank you, God, again, that you're a good father and that you hear your children when we call, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you continue to search our hearts and to show us if there be things that we're holding too tightly to, Lord, that you would reveal it to us so that we can let it go and in return gain more of you, Lord. I ask that you be with each one of us as we go our separate ways, that you keep us all safe till we're gathered back together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Love you guys. Don't